Hello, this is Tim Conboy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Good morning. How many are having a good morning? How many are having a rotten morning? Couple, couple, I hear you, I hear you. Gonna be in the book of Acts. You can go anywhere you want, but it'll be in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Good to see you guys here today. What happened to this section? It was like a partial rapture. Richard's holding the fort down over there. Hey, Richard. I don't know. Where did the others go? If you if you were left behind, then I'm left behind. That's and so are we. That'd be a scary thing. Can you imagine sitting in church during the rapture? <laughs> I'm serious. Can you imagine that? Everyone gets raptured and you're still there? Now, what was that the preacher was talking about last week? <laughs> Man, that would be a scary thought. That would be. So, be ready always for such a time as you think not. The Son of Man returns, right? Right? Don't make me come down there. I know you're like, come on, preacher, hurry up. I need to get to my nap. It's all right. Acts chapter 2. We're going to pick it up. Now, let me just, before we get right to the verse, verse 42, um, let me just kind of get us up to speed for those who haven't been with us. We're in the second chapter of Acts is where the day of Pentecost uh, was being celebrated, and at the day of Pentecost, the Lord starts His church, His ecclesia, is called out assembly. And all these people from 15 different countries gathered in Jerusalem, and they came there. I mean, they came from North Africa, hundreds of miles, from Mesopotamia, hundreds of miles, from Asia Minor and Turkey, hundreds of miles, uh, to be in Jerusalem. And uh, while they were there, God poured out His Spirit, and of the disciples, 120 disciples that were there in the upper room, the, the Spirit was poured out on them. They went out in the streets. They gave the wonderful works of God. Every man heard them in their own language, and every man and woman, every person. And that right after that event, Peter gets up and he starts preaching that this was spoken by the prophet Joel. He then goes on to say, God sent his son, proved it was his son with the miracles, but you turned him over to wicked men who then had the Son of God crucified. But God had a plan and rose him from the dead, and he is going to seat, be seated at David's throne until God makes all his enemies to be his footstool. So that's what Peter just gets done laying out to everybody, that God sent his son, and you crucified him. And on that premise, they say, well, what, sir, what should we do to get saved? What are we going to do here? And Peter calls them to repentance, repent, change directions, put their faith in Jesus Christ. So when he gave, told them what to do, in verse 41, it tells us that those who accepted his message, in other words, not all the ones there accepted it. They heard it, but they did not all accept it. But those who did accept it, the scripture says they were baptized. They put faith in the message that Jesus is the Messiah, then they followed it up with baptism, showing that they are identifying with this new group. And it said 3,000 were added to their numbers that day, added to the church that 
day. That's quite an invitation. Can you imagine you only have 120 disciples there. And you have 3,000 come forward on the invitation. Everybody's got to minister to somebody, right? <laughs> like, you take that group, you take that group. You, you talk about a uh, ministry logistics going on. We're short of ministers. 3,000 people came forward. That's a good problem to have, though, isn't it? Well, that's what happened. They all came forward, if you will. And it says, now, verse 42, they, meaning these 3,000 and the other previous disciples, they devoted themselves. It literally means to commit oneself, to make a conscious choice that you are committing to whatever this is. In this case, they committed themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to everyone as he had a need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. God bless you. They broke bread in their homes and together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Father, we ask that you will just bless our time around your word, speak to us, help your word to be part of us and help us to grasp it and to understand it and to apply it. Lord, I ask that you'll just hide me behind a cross. Give me liberty to preach a word. Preach through me, Lord, and preach to me, I pray. I ask, Lord, that you will help us to do more than go through the Sunday motions. Help us, Lord, to really, really grasp what the Spirit of God is doing. Help us to realize that we are a part of what we're reading here in your word. We thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And Father, we will give you all the praise as you help us worship you with our attention. And we will bless your holy name, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. The church begins a look inside. That's the message. The church begins a look inside. Let's take a look inside. As we think of this thing called the church, the word is ekklesia in the Greek, Ecclesia means a called out assembly. The idea that there's many components and people all out over here and they are being called to assemble. You ever buy something that says some assembly required? <laughs> By the way, pay the $20 and have them put the barbecue together. I'm serious. I was the cheapskate. I said, I'm not going to pay you 20 bucks and put a barbecue together. I can put it together. I don't know what all those extra parts were for, but it was together. Right? I thought the door was supposed to hinge this way, not this way. Oh, my goodness. I never saw so many parts before in my life. And i got to put all these things together and match all these nuts and bolts up and pay the 20 bucks. Have them do it. Some assembly required. That means that in this box are all these pieces. And it's going to be your responsibility to put all those pieces together so that it might resemble the picture on the front of the box. All right? Some assembly required. 
When it comes to the body of Christ, there's some assembly required. And it is to be assembled together. All the pieces are to fit together in such a way that there are no pieces left over. You understand? When it comes to the body of Christ, God is the one who calls the assembly together. God assembles all the pieces. God assembles all the components. God assembles all the parts in the exact place they belong, the exact way they belong, to the exact tightness they belong, to the exact everything, and it looks exactly like the picture that is to picture. Whoa, that's wild. Anyone else see that? Okay. <laughs> yep. For a minute there, I was like, whoa, wow, did my eyes just whack? Isn't it amazing that the Lord is the one who has prepared this thing called the church, the assembly? He knows exactly what it's going to look like. It's going to look just like his dear son, right? And he says, you know what? You're going to look like Jesus, the picture. Your life and my life is going to look like Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? I don't know. I, I hate false advertisements. Anyone ever go to a restaurant, you know, like even a fast food place, and here's this picture of this big, luscious burger, and you're like, that's what I want. And the thing comes out like this little thin hockey puck. It's like, what's that? You know, that big, fluffy lettuce on there, and you look at this one sliver stuck in a mayonnaise, and it's mushy. You're like, doesn't look anything like the picture. Wouldn't it be amazing if they bring out this burger that looks just like the picture and better? It'd be like a miracle. <laughs> you know, that's the cool part about God. He said, I am going to assemble you individually and collectively to look not like each other, but to look just like my dear son, Jesus Christ. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? And, and when we see Him, we shall be like Him. We will have the mind of Christ. We will, we will have the heart of Christ. He is going to make us just like Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Amen? He doesn't say, okay, make yourself like Jesus. Remember, what will Jesus do? What will Jesus say? By the way, I've applied that WWJD to WWGD with Jerry. While my wife has been gone, I know. Well, when the wife's been gone, I want to cut some corners. And I said, oh, what would Jerry do? She'd say, Tim, if you're going to sweep the floor, mop the floor. So I was like, <clears throat> so I did. So I swept the floor, and I mopped the floor. I was like, damn. <laughs> she watches the services. <laughs> Twice in a month I've done it. <laughs> I swept the floor whether needed or not. And I don't know how it got all that little stuff on the floor, but anyways, trying to teach the cat how to do it. If I can get that cat to dust mop, it'll be fine. But anyways, Jesus made a promise to us. The Father made a promise that he is going to make us like his son. He is going to, he knows assembly is required and he will assemble us. And he will make the church collectively look like and act like the body of Christ. You know, the Scripture refers to you and I as the body of Jesus Christ, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Jesus is the head and we are the body. The head, I don't know if you realize this, the head tells the body what to do, right? Woe to me when my body tells my head what it's going to do. Did your body ever do things that it wasn't told to do? Mine has. I'm like, where'd that come from? My back has been killing me lately. And sometimes I see this, people go, you all right? I say, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> you know, you're like, no problem, you can't breathe, you know. I real, actually, I found out what my problem was yesterday. As I'm sitting in my tree stand, like this, I'm like, oh, my back's killing me. And I realize, Tim, look at how you're sitting. So I stand up, and it's still like this, so I'm like this. And I'm like, I need to level my tree stand. So this problem has been brought on by moi. And I want to, like, cattywampus in that tree. Thank you. Sorry, sorry. Where was I going with this? <laughs> the body. So my body was doing things that it didn't want to do, namely have that muscle back spasm. You, you can't believe how many business cards I got after the first service. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Call this, call this number. Bless, bless her hard. Uh, Mary Flesher came up to me because I, I need a, a hearing aid in my right ear. I'm getting old. Muzzle blast. And so she hands me, she goes, oh, here's, a, here's someone that can help you. Because I told her a while back about it, right? Well, I looked at it, it said heating services. I was like, I need a heater. How did you know I needed a heater? And I, I did. And then she goes, it's, they're great. They can fit in your ear and you don't even see them. I go, huh? <laughs> so I pull my glasses out and look, oh, hearing services. I'm serious. I thought it said heating service. I said, I need a heater. And uh, so, so your body's doing, you know, my eyes or my back, whatever it is. But the scripture says the church is the body of Jesus Christ. Sometimes our body can act dysfunctional, right? Sometimes the body of Christ can do things the head never told it to do. Sometimes we can have personal spasms, if you will, amongst each other, can't you? Like, what happened to that person? What happened to that church? What's going on there? And, and we don't always connect properly to the head. New Testament lays out the body of Christ. The Bible also describes us, as they call that assembly, as the building of God, the household of God, Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, verse 19 and 20 will say that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. All the measurements are taken off of that cornerstone. It determines the, how level the building is going to be. It determines all the, the elevations and the measurements all come off the chief cornerstone. But he says, you and I are living stones. We are being built together as God is building this thing and assembling this thing known as the ecclesia, the called out assembly. And he says, and you are going to be built into the household of God. Every one of us are one of God's building blocks. Have you ever thought of that? Man, he's building the church. And he says, I'm building a church right here. I need this one building block here. I'm going to say this guy, Tim, because it's a really weird shape i got to fill. And I'll put him right there. And it'll work. That's the cool part. God could take every different building.
building block, every shape and size and personalities and quirks and all this stuff that we have. And he can build this awesome thing called the body of Christ or the house of the living God. God can do that. He says, you are the body, you are the building. And then he says, and you are the bride. Ephesians 5. Verses 25 to 32. You are the bride of Christ. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. It literally means bride's chambers. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I am going to go build the bride's chamber for you as the groom. And if I go and build it for you, I will no doubt come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Right? We are the bride of Christ. Now that's kind of weird for us guys to think of. But it's the truth. See, interesting, by the way, in Ephesians 5, that the Lord says that he is going to present us without spot or wrinkle. Typically, the brides always make sure the dresses are ironed and the wrinkles are out and all that. But the groom said it's his job to make sure that we are spotless. Aren't you glad for that? And as his job, he says, Tim, I'm also going to take it on myself to iron out all the wrinkles in you. The older I get, the more I get. Right? All those little quirks you have, all those little wrinkles in your personality, all those little character issues. He goes, I'm going to work on you. I'm going to make you spotless and without wrinkle that, that when it's time and I come to receive you unto myself, he says, you're going to be the finished product of what my Father started in you, what my Spirit's been empowering in you, and what I have set out as my goal to do in you. Aren't you glad that he that began a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ? Amen? He goes, I'm going to do the work. Don't worry. I will do it. It's God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Isn't that right? <laughs> when my will's not going too good, I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't know, I get like that sometimes. You know? Whenever I'm told to do something, I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's usually me telling myself to do it. Because I know I got to do it. It's kind of like flossing. You know how fun that is? It's like, you know you got to do it. So you do it, you know? But at times you just, you're like, ah, oh, come on. The Lord says, you know what? I'm going to change your will, and I'm going to do it through you. And sometimes I say, Lord, you're going to have to change my will, because my will doesn't want to do that. He goes, no, no problem. I promised I was going to change your will. And it's amazing what God can do in my life and the things he can put in my life that all of a sudden my will becomes his will. And guess what? I find myself doing it. Right? And when I set my heels in, like Jonah. You remember Jonah? The guy on the first submarine ride? Remember that guy? When God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. God said, go. And Jonah said, no. And God said, oh, Really? He changed Jonah's will, didn't he? Right? And it, by consequence, ended up changing his performance. So it, the interesting part about God, when it comes to the body of Christ, this called out assembly, it has different analogies in Scripture, whether, whether it's a, uh, a body or a building or a bride. Uh, we see these different uh, pictures of the church develop. However, before the church ever developed into these uh, pictures and analogies, it first had to be started. And that's what we're reading about here in Acts chapter 2. It is the inception of the church. It is the beginning 
of this thing called the ecclesia. So I had to approach this text with a few questions. That's all I'm like, you know, what aspect do I cover here? And I said, you know what? I just felt like I need to ask it questions. First question I asked concerning this is, where did this come from? I mean, seriously, where did this whole idea of a called out assembly come from? Who came up with this idea? I mean, seriously, who came up with the idea on a Sunday morning to get up out of a warm bed when it's 8 million degrees below zero out this past week and to assemble together? You know who came up with the idea? God came up with it. You see, the called out assembly focuses around the caller. God is the one who called out the assembly. He doesn't just leave it up, oh, you guys do whatever you want. He goes, no, after I saved you, I want you guys all to come together. I want you that are here in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, when you got saved, he goes, I want you to assemble together. And, and they were all drawn to the temple courtyard, this big area around the temple building. God called them. He was the one that said, I will assemble my church. Matter of fact, Jesus, Matthew 16, 18, you know it. Speaking to the disciples, he said, I will build my church. I will do it, and it's my church. The church of God was conceived by God. The assembly was called together by God. And the whole idea, the concept created by God. The church is not a man thing. You realize that? And it doesn't belong. It wasn't conceived by man. It was conceived by God. It wasn't assembled by man. It was assembled by God. It's, therefore, it's, it doesn't belong to man, nor does it belong to a denomination, nor does it belong to a pastor, nor does it belong to the elders, and guess what? Nor does it belong to you and I. Really? I thought it belonged to the congregation. No, it belongs to God. This is my church, he said. For you teachers out there, I think this is a personal pronoun. No, possessive pronoun. Is that right? Possessive pronoun? I got the nod. Participle? Who said participle? Andy, you don't even know what a participle is. That's, that's something in the atomic waves, isn't it? I think I saw a, a participle. God pulled all the participles together and made Tim. But just kidding. He knows what a participle is. I don't know what a participle is, but he knows. Where was I? Focused. God says this is my church. This belongs to me. Isn't it amazing we made church all about us? No, it's the music I like. It's the, the fellowship I like. It's the right temperature in here that I like. It's the right time that I like. Everything's about us. Whether it's the timing, whether it's the, the, the comfort of the chairs, we got to feel comfortable in church. I can't sit down that long like you guys can. That's why God made me the preacher. Okay, you, gotta, you can't sit still. Get up there. You got to preach. Everyone's part of the body. I happen to be the mouth. I understand that, you know. But isn't it funny how we make it all about us? We make church about us. We make worship about us. And we say, no, we're worshiping God. Yeah, but you know what? If it's not done the way we think it should be done, well, forget it then. If it's not done the style I was raised to be done, to, to, to worship, then that's not the right style. 
If it's not done, the, the church that I grew up in, it's, we always did it this way. Guess what? God does it every single way you can think of. There are churches that he calls to assemble that don't even have cushioned chairs. I know, it's hard to believe. Some of them meet under a tree in the middle of Africa. Some of them meet on the 10th floor of an office building in Tokyo. Some of them meet out in the desert outside of Cairo. Some of them meet wherever God calls them to assemble. He pulls them together. But it's his body. It's his church. He's the one calling them. And it's not about them, nor is it about us. It's all about him. And it doesn't mean it has to be exactly the way we think it should be. Zach order. I went to a church. We only had communion one Sunday a month. Anyone ever been to a church like that? I don't know. We have communion every Sunday. You know that? That's because we're more spiritual. Right? <laughs> Do this in remembrance of me. It's not, it doesn't say, well, you have to have communion one Sunday a month. It doesn't say you have to have it one week a month. Or one week, yeah. Every Sunday, you know what I mean? They had it every day. You know what it says? Every day they went to the house and they broke bread. Well, does that mean we should be doing this every day? There are whole crazy ideas out there sometimes. Even this whole idea, no, churches shouldn't meet like this. You should have house churches where you just meet in houses because that's what they did here. Really? Guess what? They met in houses because 3,000 people were in Jerusalem that most of them didn't live in Jerusalem. You ever think of that? There was no first Christian church of Jerusalem that they could go to. They came in from out of town. See, and here's, here's my, my other question. First, who thought of this whole thing? God. Secondly, how did they know to assemble together? How did they know to get together in the first place? Because every day, guess what they did? They all went over to the temple courtyard and they assembled in the temple courtyard. And after they assembled in the courtyard, then they would then break up and go back to their houses and they would then break bread and pray together in, in smaller groups. So some will say, well, see, that's how it should be. You should only meet in the houses. Well, wait a minute. They all met collectively first. Then later you see them going house to house. In other places, you'll, 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 you'll read about them going house to house. Other places, you'll see them pulling in collectively. You say, well, which is right? All of it. All of it's right. Listen, God builds it the way God wants to build it. And here in Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, we forget, we forget sometimes what is going on here. We got 15 different countries and regions in Jerusalem. Remember, they were there for the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is not a church thing. You understand that? It wasn't a church thing. It was part of Judaism. They had three times a year they were to assemble in Jerusalem. They were to have a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. All the Jews had to come at Passover. They all had to come 50 days later at Pentecost, and they'll all come at the Feast of Tabernacles. All right? Three different times they're going to assemble in Jerusalem. These people that came, Jews from all over, the scripture says, they're from North Africa. They came hundreds of miles from Mesopotamia in the east. 
They came from the north up in Asia Minor and Turkey area. They came down. All these people came into town. But they didn't come into town to start a church. You realize that? They didn't even know anything existed as a church. They came in to celebrate the day of Pentecost. And as faithful Jews and Gentiles that converted to Judaism, they were there out of ceremonial expectation. They were there because they had to be there. They were there because they were expected to be there, and this was their religious duty to come in for the day of Pentecost. Well, guess what? By the time you get out of Acts chapter 2, you're already out of the day of Pentecost. The day, the chapter begins on the day of Pentecost, but it ends days after the day of Pentecost. Are you with me on this? So they came in that weekend, that Sabbath, celebrated the day of Pentecost, and the day of Pentecost is all over. They faithfully fulfilled the responsibility and obligation, and now Pentecost is over. Do you think the apostle said, hey, you know, since you guys are already in town, why don't we just stay and we'll start a church? Now, we would think like that, right? Because we know what a church is. They had no idea. Nor did they say, since you're already here, let's go ahead and start the church. They had no concept in their mind about pulling together and starting this thing. There was no, as I said, no first Christian church in Jerusalem to go to. They weren't welcomed in the synagogues. They, they, for some reason, they just decided the day of Pentecost over that they were just going to stay. They were just going to stay there in town. And I asked myself, what moved them to stay? And I realized that's an oxymoron. I thought of that real this morning. I go, hmm. What moved them to stay? All right. What moved them to unite in the courtyard? What moved them to then break out into smaller groups in these houses and, and fellowship? What, what was it in them? Why did they do this? I mean, seriously, Pentecost is over. I ask simple questions. Why didn't they go home? Why did they just leave? They, were, they fulfilled their obligation. They fulfilled their duty. What inside? How did they know to meet together. How did they know there was a called out assembly? There was no voice in Ramsey. Called out assembly, temple courtyard, 10 minutes. Oh, got to go. How did they know? As I was talking to the Lord about it. I said, how did they know, Lord? And you know what he spoke to my heart? He goes, Tim, how do birds know how to fly south in the winter? Pretty smart, if you ask me, right? How do fish Salmon know to swim upstream to spawn. How do badgers know how to build a den? How, do a, how does a bird know how to build a bird's nest? Have you ever really stopped and thought about that? I was this week thinking about that. How do they know how to put those sticks together? How do they know how to, to in that little branch, make this uh, almost a spherical object, a, a semi-sphere, and create this thing called a nest? How do fish know to go to school? I don't know. How do they know? The, because God put it in the mind and the heart of those animals to do these things instinctively without them even realizing it. Right? They just flock together and fly to Florida. Right? They just build that nest because God put it in them to build that nest. And so when we see this called out assembly, how is it that these people stayed? 
Why did they leave? Why did they assemble together? Why did they unite as, as a group? Because God put his spirit inside of them, and God's spirit fellowships with God's spirit. God's spirit that lives in each one of us, God's spirit pulls us together to be united in the spirit. Right? Instead of a fragmented body, he pulls us together and he says, you guys will need each other, even if you don't realize it. You guys will be assembled together because this part needs this part to connect together to make this thing. God's Spirit worked in your heart and works in my heart, just like he did with these folks, that here, even on this time that they gathered, not to start a church, but to celebrate a feast of Pentecost, which is now over, and rather than leave, they said, you know what? Something inside me says, stay. Something inside me says, you know what? I think I'm going to go over to the temple courtyard today. And then they get to the temple courtyard and they find out, oh, you just got saved? Oh, you got saved? You got... I remember I was sitting in missions class about six months after I got saved, went to Bible college. And I remember I was sitting there, I'm looking over at this guy, I'm thinking, boy, that guy really looks familiar. And he kind of looked over at me and say, and after service, or service, the class, he comes up and he goes, do I know you? Now, he knew me, B.C., all right? The long hair, leather jacket, you know, it's all good. He knew me as the party animal, all right? I knew him as the guy I bought it from. All right? <laughs> I'm just saying, all right? He had his long beard. Long, and, and once we realized who we were, I go, you got saved? He goes, me? What about you? <laughs> well, yeah. here we both went separate ways. And God worked in his life and saves him. God works in my life, saves me. And, and next thing you know, we're connected again. We're part of this thing known as the body of Christ. And, and who would know to do these things other than God? You see, friends, all of us are part of something that God is doing. And when it comes to even church, assembly, why are you here? I mean, I know you're asking yourself that sometimes. <laughs> Why am I here? Why did I get out of that warm bed? Well, of course, it's a crack of noon right now, so you should be up. <laughs> but we ask ourselves, why? Why inside of me, when I got saved, I was saved out in the middle of the woods, sitting on a log, nobody around. Well, I mean, the other guys were around, but they kept going. I just sat down, prayed, and asked the Lord to save me. Woo, he gloriously saved me. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. Everybody, wait till everyone finds out about this. That was like the best kept secret ever told, you know, or not told. But I got saved on a Thursday morning around 10 o'clock. And I knew inside me, something inside me says, go to church. I don't go to church by then. We moved over to Carrollton, Georgia, west of Atlanta. I don't know anybody in Georgia let alone at a church. Who would I know at a church, you know? At that time, you know, we went other places that we'd meet, but not church. And we go to church. And the preacher would say, here at Eureka Baptist Church, we don't care if you got long hair. And the way he would say it, he'd go, long hair, or blue jeans, or 
flannel shirt. The best clothes I had, they were holy jeans. They belong in church. I mean, they were. They were tore up. And, and I, and by the way, we looked at each other and I said, I think he's talking about us. <laughs> you know, because, yeah, you're in the south. You know, right? <laughs> and we were from the north. I'm from south, south, south Syracuse. <laughs> you can tell with my accent, right? <laughs> but he says, but you're always welcomed here. And I'm like, and I'm thinking to myself, what in the world am I doing here? Why would I go to a building that has all these strangers in? I have no idea who they are. I don't even speak Southern. And they knew I didn't speak Southern. <laughs> and yet, I liked those people. I said, you guys are all right. And they liked me. And there was a connection. You're like, how did this happen? Where did this come from? I'll tell you, because God puts it in us to assemble together. And, and it doesn't mean that God wants everyone at New Life. They could go to other bad churches, but <laughs> God puts it in us to, to assemble together. And, and you know what? When I say, you know, I don't want to go, if I get a good reason, you know, like I'm on my deathbed or waiting for a kidney transplant, and I don't want to go, okay. But when you said, yeah, I don't feel like going today, something inside me says, Tim, you need to come worship me. You need to come worship me. Now, is that a guilt trip put on because the elders called me up? Okay, yeah, I'm the preacher. They probably would call me and say, are you coming in today? My kids and grandkids are all in town, so I came right in at 6.30 Wednesday night, and I had a text. Are you going to be in tonight? <laughs> I'm coming. Start without me, you know? We're having a great time Wednesday nights, by the way. We break up individual prayer. Then we have group prayer. People have a need. They come in. We lay hands on them, pray over And that group's been growing and growing and growing. And God's been doing some amazing things. It's awesome. They bring kids up from downstairs. We pray for them for healing. It's amazing. The more we're praying, the more God's working. And that's what we want to see. But the point is this. Why are you here? Why are you here? When I was a kid, you know why I went to church? I had to go to church. My dad dragged us to church. I didn't like going to church. In the beginning, I didn't even speak Latin, but we went. Yeah, you think I'm bad. How would you like it all in Latin, man? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Best time I ever had in church was when my friend Skippy Howard passed out. Boom! Hit his nose on the oak pew in front of him. Dish! He's down like, yeah, that's awesome. We get to leave early. <laughs> We did. He's stuck underneath the kneeler, man. That was a challenge, getting him out of there. Because it, like, knocked him out somehow. That was, to me, I was like, all right, today was cool at church. But, you know, I went because I had to go. I know, some of you guys are feeling bad for Skippy. Don't worry, he was all right. He survived. But you know what? Now that I'm saved, I don't go because I have to go. I go because I want to go. And I'm like, where did that come from? I go, I don't go because I got to. I go because I get to. I get to worship God. I get to hang out with others. And you know what? They're helping me live for the Lord. And it's, it's like that fire, like I said, when you, all the sticks stay together, they help each other burn. But if you pull one out, it'll burn for a little bit, but then it'll go out. A little puff of smoke. God keeps all of us together. Why? Because we need each other. You know that? And that little thing inside you that says, get out to worship me, that's a God thing. You are part of something that God is doing. 
Do you know that? Do you realize? He started 2,000 years ago, and you're still here today doing it. They collectively came together because God was working in their life. It started with God. He instinctively put it in us to worship Him. And then when you look, you said, what did they do when they got together? They, Verse 42, they devoted themselves. They committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They said, you know what? I need to learn. These are new believers, fresh out of the womb, man. They were just saved like the day before. And they say, you know, I don't know anything. I need someone to teach me. I, I, I remember when I was first saved, I didn't know anything about the Word of God. Nothing. Remember I took a Bible knowledge test to get into school? I got 134 wrong out of 150. And it was multiple choice. I mean, come on. Come on, man. You can do better than that. I did. Now I got 148 right out of 150 when I finished. Got to take the same test. I was like, pays the copy. No, just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. But, but the thing is, they, they said, you know what? We are committed to the primary thing, the teaching of the Word of God, learning the Word of God. Because you know what, friends? If you're off here, you will be off everywhere. If you're off on the Word of God, you will be swept away with every wind of doctrine, the Scripture says. If we're, if we're off on what God has to say, not what Tim has to say, what God has to say, if we're off on what God has to say, we will swallow the bait and hook what the devil has to say. The cults that are out there came out of Christian churches as they moved away from the Word of God. And people started aligning themselves. Next thing you know, they start this whole belief system, crazy belief system. And, and people gravitate to it because they don't know the book. They committed themselves to the primary thing of teaching the Word of God. Now, there's other gifts other than teaching, praise the Lord, <laughs> but the teaching of the Word of God coupled with the workings of God. And that's where the other giftedness, and that's even what we're trying to do, trying to get other people in with different gifts to present God's work and God's uh, will to you. But they, they, they had their gifts, and I, have, I don't know if I have a gift. It's teaching with a small t, but it's okay. But you know what? God says, here's where you teach the Word of God. Teach it in season and out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. They committed themselves to teaching, and they committed themselves to fellowship, hanging out, hanging out, fellowshipping, connecting one to another. You know, I, I've had friends that say, oh, my church is in the woods. My, I, oh, I go to church. I, I worship in the boat. Well, you can worship in the boat. You can worship God in the woods. Amen? The best time to pray is an hour before daylight when you're sitting in your tree stand. Seriously, I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I pray, don't sleep, Tim, don't sleep, just pray. Open my eye, still dark, keep praying. I do a lot of praying in the tree stand. Can you, is that legal? Can you worship God in the woods? Can you worship God in the boat? This is not a Sam I Am thing. Yeah, you can, you can worship God anywhere, but you cannot fellowship just sitting in a tree stand by yourself. All right? It's not about simply the worship part. It's not about the prayer part. He says, no, you know what? You need each other. You need to get out of that tree stand. You need to get out of that bed. You need to get out of that house. You need to come together and fellowship together. Because each component needs the other component. Because we didn't design this. God designed it. And God says each part of the body needs the other part of the body. 
So they were committed. They said, we have committed ourselves to learn the word of God. We have committed ourselves to fellowship. And we have committed ourselves to breaking bread, having the time of remembering what Jesus did for us. And we committed ourselves to praying together collectively. We have committed ourselves to do this. I'll tell you what. It takes personal commitment on our part to say, this is what I'm going to do. Or it's going to take personal resistance on our part because the Holy Spirit is going to be drawing us. And we're either going to commit to doing and responding to the Holy Spirit drawing us, or we're going to commit to resisting the Holy Spirit and say, no, I'm not going to do that. And every time we resist the Holy Spirit, every time we quench the Holy Spirit, guess what? We also grieve the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit in me, the Holy Spirit always wants to go and assemble together and worship. And the Holy Spirit says, Tim, how come you're not going to go and assemble together and worship? Got a lot going on today, Holy Spirit. Got a busy schedule this week. I need to rest. I need family time today. I got all these reasons why I could tell the Holy Spirit, no, you're not going to go see the rest of your body today. Just do your own thing. That's not designed to be any guilt trip. That's just designed to tell you the things that I struggle with in my heart at times. Let me tell you something. Just because I'm the preacher doesn't mean I always want to go to church. Come on, right? When deer season gets here, don't tell me you're out in the woods having a great time with the Lord. Because I want to be out in the woods having a great time. Man, you know? The thing is, the Spirit in us wants us to assemble together, right? That's why when you don't, you feel it in you. You know it in you. They were committed to that. And by the way, when you look at their, their commitment here, it wasn't just about what they did. It was about who they were. These people were saved people. Scripture shows that they, they were dedicated people. And you know what? It also says they were excited people. They were in awe as they watched God working amongst them. They were not, not like, ah, uh, like, ah, oh, wow, look at what God's doing. They were excited to this, excited about their new life, excited about their new faith, excited about this thing of gathering together and say, wow, you're a believer, you're a believer. And all of a sudden they start to say, wow, you guys are putting your faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah, so am I. That's awesome. And they stayed in Jerusalem believing that the Lord was going to come back any day. They believed any day he was going to return. And so they said, well, we're not, we don't want to miss this. And so they stayed right there in Jerusalem until God's Spirit moved them out into the uttermost parts of the world, right? He said, start being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going to have the holy huddle right here in Jerusalem and then come back and rapture you. He goes, no, first I want you, called out assembly, to get out there and get others that will be part citizens of this thing that I'm doing called the kingdom. I want you to get out there and share your faith. And that's exactly what they did. They were excited. And they started, actually, they were giving people, selfless people. They were glad people. They were glad to be part of this. When I look at this, I see people that said, you know what? I'm a part of something God's doing, and it's exciting. As a matter of fact, not only is it exciting, but excited people. They said they were sincere people. I like that word, sincere. You know what it means? It means without wax. You probably thought, sure, sincere, I know what that means. I didn't realize it meant without wax. 
But that's what it means, without wax. You see, when they made their cooking, not utensils, but what do you call it? Pots, thanks. They'd make them out of clay, ceramic. Sometimes, however, in the process, they would crack and hence make a crack pot. That's right. With that crack pot, it was no good. You couldn't sell it. It's got a crack in it. You understand that concept, right? Okay. Well, rather than throw it out, they would just take some wax, mix it up with the clay, and fill in that crack. So when it's all smoothed over, it looks fine. But when they buy it and they take it home and they put something hot in it or it sits out in the sun and gets hot, guess what happens to that wax? It melts. Guess what you then see? A crack. Guess what happens to the content, contents that's in the, the pot? It leaks out. You know how it works, don't you? This is what it says. He says, they were without wax. They didn't have it covered up and their blemishes covered up and their flaws covered up. By the way, you know how they could tell? If the pot was cracked, they would hold it up to the light. And if that light could be seen through the pot, they knew that there was wax. It was not sincere, it was called. It was insincere. It had wax covering it. You know what that tells me? When it comes to the body of Christ, he says, you know what? Come together without wax. Come together, not... And it doesn't say without cracks. It says without wax. It doesn't say you don't have any flaws. We all got flaws, right? We're all crackpots, aren't we? You know it. You know it. If you don't know it, ask your spouse. They'll tell you. Definitely a crackpot. We all got our problems. We all got our issues. But the thing is, when we come to church, we get them so glossed over and all the wax on it, it doesn't even, we look like perfect pots, don't we? And yet we all got our problems. And he says, church is not the place to cover up. Church is not the place to come and think you don't have a problem because we all got problems. Church is the place to be sincere, to be open, say, you know what? I got my problems. And guess what? You got your problems too, right? <laughs> we don't say it that way, though. We say, ah, Jesus loves you. <laughs> but we all got issues. But we look at everyone else and we think, man, their pots are perfect. They don't have any problems. Man, I'm struggling with this, struggling with that. I don't even feel like being here listening to that guy. Whatever it is. God says, you want just be sincere. Because we need each other to be without wax. So that we can say, God's not done. By the way, it's not my job to fix the cracks in your pot. Amen? You're welcome. Nor is it your job to fix the cracks in my pot. The great one who fixes our blemishes and problems has dedicated himself to fix every issue that I have in my life. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And everyone you got in yours. <laughs> he's going to do it. And he's going to conform us into the image of Christ. He says, so when you assemble together, when you come together because I put it in your hearts to come together, Rather than point out each other's flaws, don't worry about it. Just come, be sincere. Realize that I am the God who's going to work amongst you. And it says, and the Lord added to their numbers daily such as should be saved. God will do the work. He'll do it in your life. He'll do it in my life. He'll do it in our church, which is his body. He says, but you 
Do not forsake the assembling of yourself together, as such the manner of some is. But he said in Hebrews 10.25, but encouraging each other, and so much the more when, as you see the day approaching. The closer the return of Christ gets, the more prone we are to forsake the assembly. And God said, that's the last thing you want to do. He says, we need to encourage each other to keep assembling together because Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? And if he comes back today, what a blessing. If he come back today, I'd rather be raptured out of church than raptured out of bed on Sunday morning, right? Like, all right, Lord, this is where you want me. Woo! Glad I went that Sunday. But it's, it's all about assembling together and worshiping the God that saved us. So they did. They weren't in town to start a church. They were in town to fulfill a religious obligation. And yet God kept them in town to start this big thing that you and I are part of even today. Even today. Father, what an awesome God you are. We worship you and we bless you. That it's you that works in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Lord, change my will to be conformed to your will. Change my actions to be something that's honoring to you that you want to do. Help me, Lord, to realize it's not about me fixing my flaws. It's about you fixing them. You that began a good work will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, do a work in our church. Draw us out. Do great things that we would be excited to see. The things that God's doing in our lives and the lives of others. We are a part of something huge. We are part of something that you're doing, Lord. We are part of an institution that will outlast marriage, will outlast government, will outlast this universe. The bride of Christ will outlast it all. And we're part of that. Help us, Lord, to just unite together until a day Jesus returns. And we'll be sure to praise you and thank you in Jesus' holy, awesome name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Maybe God's speaking to your heart today, and he, you know, our ministry team's going to pray. Let them pray for you. Let them pray for your healing. Let them pray for your help. You have a need, say, today's a day. I need to commit myself back to the things of God, to the assembly of God. You come as we sing. You come. Blessed Ministry team's here. Let them pray for you. Don't worry about what others think. Just say, Lord, today's the day. Today's the day. God's calling you today. Maybe he's calling you to join the assembly. Maybe he's calling you to be a member of the church. You come. Let us pray for you. As others are coming, you come. You are what you choose to be. You come. God speaking to others. If he's speaking to you, take care of it today. Take care of it. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. Whatever God's speaking to your heart today, let us pray. You know, some from the balcony, some from the below. You just come. You come. God's speaking to you today. You are what you choose to be. Make the right choice.
speak in your heart today. Make the right call. Sing it out. God's speaking to you. Take care of today. Aren't you glad the Lord saved you? Aren't you glad he, well, one is, aren't you glad he's called us together to assemble? Aren't you? Don't make me come down there. I can't get down any further. Praise the Lord for that. You know, the body of Christ, see folks praying for folks to get saved or to healed rather. See, God's ministering to us and through us. Others are coming for prayer. You come as well. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? There's a couple Needing prayer right here? We're going to pray for her. We're going to keep praying for little Lily that God would heal her and help her and she would be healed permanently from this issue she's battling. Matter of fact, as we close in prayer right now, let's extend a hand up here to Lily, to others that are here for needs. Lord Jesus, this is your body. Lily is part of an assembly. You called her to be part of this body. We pray healing into her body. We pray you'll touch this little girl today and just miraculously heal her and touch her and just relieve her of the issues that she's battling. Lord, we're always heartbroken when we see little kids battling issues. So Lord, remind us that we are all your little kids and you are heartbroken when we have issues that we don't come to you with. So Lord, we come today we believe in your healing. We believe in your help. And we ask the Spirit of God to just enter into Lily's body or Matt's or anyone here who may need your healing touch, Lord. Do your marvelous work. We ask this collectively as the body of Christ and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. Lord bless you. Share love. If you need prayer, we're here to pray for you. Let us help you. Let us encourage you. You come, you come.